This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that doesn't mind a bit of imitation being the best form of flattery. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is Dr. Anirban Mahanti. G'day, Doc. G'day, Captain. How are you? I'm fighting fit. Any better, I'd be twins, I like to say. Uh, I like that. All the muscle. Mate, uh, we've got a big podcast coming up. This week, we're going to talk about Kogan, speaking of imitation, taking on Amazon. If an imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, then Amazon should feel very, very flattered. (laughs) We're going to talk about CBA and the Royal Commission, the after-effects linger with the ASIC chair coming out and slamming the banks, and CBA may be taking a different view on its wealth management business. Mm. We'll talk about... You made me talk about apartment prices again. I love apartments. Well, well, I live so in we'll one, we'll you talk know? for as little as possible about apartment prices. <laughs> well, I, I will get back on my high horse. It's been a little while since we had a high horse here at Monthly for Money, but we're going to have one of those if I have time. And we will answer plenty of your mailbag questions. Lots of great correspondence during the week. Always our favourite, Doc, I think it's fair to say. Oh, absolutely. We love All it. Right. Before we start, you know, is, oh, is, is your high horse... script a- already. Oh, you know, I don't know what your high horse is, but I'm just hoping it's going to be it's going to be about property and how the property prices are going down and stuff like that, right? No, no, no. okay. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it, mate. So this week, Kogan has come out and announced it's launching Kogan Marketplace. Now, mm-hmm. for those of us who have been either buying things online or taking paying a little bit of attention to online commerce for the last couple of years, that will sound a little bit familiar because Amazon famously has the wait for it. Amazon Marketplace. Woo-hoo. So Kogan's not exactly going for originality here. What are they doing, mate? And why are they bothering? Okay. So first, what is a marketplace, right? A marketplace basically means that they are providing the logistics for buying and selling stuff, right? right. So they are not holding the, they, they're not the ones who actually are providing the inventory. So if, if for example, if I'm, if I'm say Microsoft yes. and I want to sell stuff on Kogan's Marketplace, yes. I, Microsoft would provide the goods to Kogan. Kogan would be essentially responsible for the logistics, which is the, you know, delivery of the stuff, right. you know, keeping it in their warehouses, making sure, you know, the transactions happen. There's basically a way of um, accessing customers okay. on the uh, on the Kogan marketplace. And that's why is that uh, important? Because Kogan's got a lot of customers who come to buy Kogan's stuff, like Kogan's TVs and Kogan's whatever, right? Kogan branded things. So Kogan has, you know, worked up a nice and big customer base, which mm-hmm. is growing pretty strongly yep and and this is a way to leverage that and uh, basically Kogan gets a cut for delivering those services nice so basically in the in the old style we say old style like e-commerce has been around forever but mm. in traditional e-commerce you buy the goods you put them on the website you sell them when someone buys them you pass them on you're a traditional retailer orbit online mm-hmm. in this case you're kind of a virtual retailer right you're kind of you're getting paid to play past the puzzle. You're mm-hmm. saying, okay, well, and everyone's just bought some some uh, a version of Microsoft Office. I know you love Microsoft, Doc. I love uh, it. <laughs> you, you bought a new <laughs> Pixel phone, potentially, maybe because you want to smash it with a hammer or something. Mm. And you've, you, you, you've bought it from someone on, online. You've used the Kogan Marketplace site to do that. Mm. Kogan effectively get paid for, it's almost an introduction fee, right? For, for letting the two people mm. meet and, and correspond and, and transact. And then for actually delivering the goods as on top of that. So it takes out the inventory risk, takes out the cost of pretty much any of it other than providing the customer with a different angle. It, Why would so, so that sounds like a pretty sweet deal for Amazon, or for Kogan, I should say. Why would a retailer use Kogan? Aren't they just kind of, are they doing a deal with the devil here? Well, well, yes and no, right? I mean, it's like a, it's like a bit like the flea market, right? I mean, it's a big flea market <laughs> because all these people can still leverage the client's 
the, the clients of Kogan, which is the customers right. of Kogan. Right? Kogan, is a, as I said, has a growing customer base. Kogan also has all these different verticals that brings in zillions of customers. Right? So if you pet have insurance, superannuation, yeah, pre- insurance, cheap TVs, cheap TVs, insurance, then you know mobile, mobile, right, exactly. then you know like you know travel. Right? So there's all these Kogan brands, yep. and all the you know one of the advantages of having all these different Kogan brands is to actually encourage your customer base to grow. And then right. to that customer base, you can sell stuff. So basically, if you become a destination site, for whatever reason you become the destination site, then you can leverage that. And, you know, Kogan is basically selling, well, I'm going to sell first-party goods. I'm going to sell goods that I stock, mm-hmm. which could be Kogan-branded stuff as well as other, other. you know, it could right. be a Samsung TV, for example, that they're storing. Which is their core business and probably will remain so for a while. Right, right. But this is a nice way to leverage infrastructure that you have built. Um, you know, so it, why would others want to do it? Well, may, may others like maybe Microsoft doesn't want to run its own store, mm-hmm. uh, online store mm-hmm. in Australia, doesn't want to manage it. Uh, it's better for them to actually have a virtual store on Kogan or on Amazon or whoever else right. or eBay. Um, why not leverage the, the marketplace dynamics? So it's good for, you know, you, you're basically using the expertise of the expert yep. to get stuff done. You're, you're using the network effect of the market. Um, and yeah, again, great. I think so, uh, the way I thought, thought about it is you can if you are, if you're a shopkeeper you can open your own shop down a side street somewhere and advertise and market and promote and talk to people and try and get them to come to your store or you can say well I know the rent in Westfield's higher but there's already tens of thousands of people walking through Westfield most days mm. If I just put my shop there, yeah, I've got to pay more rent, but I get ready-made customers straight to my door. Microsoft is a big name, but not too many people type in, you know, store.microsoft.com or whatever the address is and go there. Exactly. They're more likely to find a product on Amazon, on, on Kogan, gee, I keep saying Amazon, on Kogan uh, than they do on Microsoft's own site. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's a nice, interesting, I mean, there's, there's a bit of a push and a pull here um, because... Kogan now would know what stuff sells, right? right? <laughs> which, would, which is uh, the criticism of Amazon. Which right? is the criticism of Amazon, which allows Kogan then to design products <laughs> to take on those things. I mean, it, it works both ways. <laughs> it's uh, a nice, uh, nice bit of business. It's a nice bit of business. <laughs> I, actually, I think, you know, marketplace businesses are really good, um, you know, and, and I like them. I think this is good. I mean, it's competing with Amazon. So Amazon already yeah. has a marketplace. But, you know, they're both starting from essentially the same starting point as far as Australia is concerned. So. Now, given I mentioned it half a dozen times by accident, I should disclose I'm a shareholder of Amazon, as are you. Yep. Um, interesting, too, and we'll talk about this maybe next week. Um, Elizabeth Warren, the potential Democratic presidential mm-hmm. candidate, has actually talked about breaking up some of these big guys. And one of the things she's actually talked about is stopping companies competing in on marketplaces if they're going to provide them. In other words, you can either be the marketplace or you can sell your own products. But when Amazon sells its basics range, for example, she's saying that's squashing competition in that space. And it's one of the things she's railing against whether or not she ends up being the candidate whether she takes power we'll mm. talk about maybe next week maybe we won't we'll see how we go but uh, in any case that, that's that's part of it but for now it's a nice little leverage point to have mm-hmm. Motley Fool Money for more go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M the Commonwealth Bank of Australia is going to sell its wealth management business or that not. Was, well that was the line while the Royal Commission <laughs> was on and it turns out the Royal Commissioner said, no, you don't have to break up your vertically integrated businesses. And, and CBA, all of a sudden, shock, horror, I am, I've got to sit down, I'm, I'm that shocked, have decided not to now sell that wealth management business they were going to sell before the Royal Commissioner's report. Some might suggest, I would never, ever be so cynical, some might suggest the plans to sell were in expectation that the Commissioner would make them do it. Now they don't have to. And it just so happens they've decided not to, at least not yet. CBA said, oh, no, we've got more, more important priorities. I'm not going to sell it yet. We've got more important things to focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, 
I'm a fan of focus for management teams, but I also think they probably have enough people to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Am I too cynical in believing that this is just about the fact that the Royal Commission is not making them sell it? Or is there something else going on? Colour me sceptical. I mean, <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> that's my job. The, the moment, I think, you know, actually, I thought that was the most disappointing outcome of the report. which said basically that these, uh, you know, vertically integrated big businesses actually do not need to be sold off or at least oh, not, nothing strong. Team. That was that was that was one of the... For all of the scathing parts of <laughs> yeah. Haynes' report, I am staggered that he'd make them separate yeah. themselves. Yeah, so, so I, I think you're right. I think um, if I had to guess, we don't know what's going on, right? I mean, yeah. this is all speculation, but if I had to guess, I mean... That's what we're here for, mate. Uh, that's exactly all what we do. That's all of our speculation. <laughs> that's what we do here. That's all the fun is. That's, right. <laughs> that's all the fun. Yeah. Um, so, I, I think because of the fact that they don't have to sell, I mean, they, you know, they're taking their time. I mm. think my guess is they would still sell, but they would basically, you know, maybe they're trying to sell parts and parts and parts and parts, and maybe they'll sell one part the insurance business, and they'll sell maybe this part the, you know, the the broking business, and then they will sell the <laughs> the wealth management oh, business yes, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what they're going to try to extract maybe. value. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised they can't get the price they wanted, quite frankly. Well, if, I, if there that, is a genuine reason, I think it's possibly around price. Yeah, it could be around price. It, you, which might be, you know, why they want to break it up and maybe try to get more buck for the, you know, uh, you know, some of parts maybe is greater than uh, <laughs> greater than what somebody is willing to offer for them. Um, yeah. So I, I, it doesn't look like a. Um, it, it seems like you know it's one of those situations where they don't want to own it. You know, but mm. really, they probably don't have a buyer, and because the, you know the commission has given them lots of time now to, to make the decisions, yes. they're going to take their own sweet time to Funny make the that. decision. It, so. At the same time, of course, ASIC Chair James Shipton came out has lambasted the banks for not moving fast enough in the uh, as a result of the Royal Commissioner's findings. So they're not they're not exactly the most popular boys and girls around town when it comes to ASIC and, and maybe even the government, particularly with an election coming up. So a revitalised ASIC, a a newly Grumpy ASIC, I might say, after the being bank, kind of bank tax, maybe. Well, it's already in place, right? We'll see. <laughs> see what comes next. But you don't you don't lose many votes by taxing the banks. Let's put it that way. A lot of, a lot of shareholders own the banks, by the way, including many of our listeners, I'm sure. But hard to get sympathy in, in the public uh, domain yeah. for banks. Motley Fool Money, financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple m. Oh, mate, this is the. You remember Red Faces, the, the, the TV show, when they had the, you know, this is the segment we all love and or you, you all love and we all loathe. That's kind of my feeling when it comes to you wanting to bang on again about house prices. Oh, they're down. So I mean, I'm I'm just I'm just happy that I'm right for a change. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, mate, headline in the AFR. So we're recording this on Friday morning. Headline in the AFR today: apartment prices to fall twenty percent. Hmm. Particularly talking about off the plan apartment prices. Uh, uh, there's, look, we've talked about house prices a lot, and I want to re-go over old ground, mostly because I just don't like doing it, uh, mostly because I don't want to bore our listeners, mm. but also because off-the-plan kind of caught my eye and caught your eye. Mm. Tell me a little bit about why off-the-plan apartments are, A, risky, and B, likely to fall further than average. Right. So, so in the off-the-plan you know, um, apartments, right, you, you're committing to buying something in the, in the future. And because of that, you you essentially make an initial small deposit, yep. and and then you you're going to pay the rest when the building basically comes alive, right? Now the problem is that you are committing to a price, hmm. let's say eighteen months ahead of the apartment being ready. Yeah, right. If in eighteen months, and you've signed a contract that you're going to buy it for an X, you know, let's say a million dollars. Yep. Now the apartment is worth eight hundred thousand dollars. That's not good. That's not good. Well, it's not, it's not good for your investment. Right? Maybe if you have a long, maybe if you have a long time horizon, it doesn't matter. But it does matter still because right. 
you were planning to probably you probably paid down maybe you know let's say 50 grand or 100 grand let's say you paid 100 grand so you now need to borrow 900 yep well how would the bank lend you 900 for something that is now worth 800 and that's why off the plan is different, right? Because if you've, you, you'll still be 20% in the hole if you'd bought it a million dollars, a exactly. place actually paid for it, moved in, done all that stuff 12, 12 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to buy in six months' time, you sign the country you haven't paid yet, the valuation mm-hmm. gets done when you hand over the money. So even though the percentage loss is the same, you're effectively buying, you've got to pay now for something that's already lower. So you're paying yeah. a million bucks for something that's literally worth $800,000, which is painful enough. But the bank's also then going to say, yeah, about that loan, can't go to you. you that much. Exactly. And that's a problem, right? So right, if a lot, right, a lot right. of people basically say we can't buy, yep. which, you know, or that they have to find finances elsewhere to actually keep their commitment. Yeah. That, that creates a lot of downward push, right? Because, I mean, if, if they, either the apartments are going to sell or people will have to do other things mm-hmm. to actually make mm-hmm. the sales happen. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that's often, uh, often a problem in the property market. And that, you know, th- these things can really spiral out very quickly because... Um, Again, you know, all you need is a little bit in, in, in a highly leveraged industry to cause problems. And this is, you know, one of those sort of things. Could get ugly. I, I think it's fact, do you, as you still clicking, start again, oh, take the dentures out, get my wash, put them back in. Are you still sticking with your 25% fall top to bottom for house prices? Well, I'll, I'll revise it a little bit upwards. I think 20% now. because oh, uh, This be- is a momentous occasion. This is the equivalent of a, of a major bank economist changing their interest rate call. Here we go. 20%? Okay. 20%. I mean, so we are already down to what, 13% or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think another 7%, 8% maybe to go. Okay. Uh, la- largely because I think at, at that point, if, the, if there are not enough buyers coming into the market, I yeah. would really think that the RBA is going to cut rates. And maybe RBA will cut rates before that, which will provide some stability. And the other thing that's changing my view is international rates and not increasing as fast as I thought they would. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's one of the big helpers here. So I think mm-hmm. you've got two helping hands to give it a help. Or at if, least have it not fall quite so much. Yeah, <laughs> which is why, yeah. yeah. yeah if yeah. the international rates were increasing, I would stick yep. with 25. But I think the international rates are not increasing as fast as I thought they would. Fantastic. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, let's go to the full mailbag. Let's dive in head first. There's a lot to get through, mate. So we'll do our level best to to get through it. Um, I am going. Are, to- are we going to talk only about the ones that love us, right? Of course. Yeah, that's okay. all we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, listeners well and truly know that doc by now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look out. <laughs> Look at what? There's the horse. Why is the horse early? The horse is back. The horse is back. Oh, you know what? So, so our, our producer extraordinaire, Will Power, has given me, Bull Porter, I should say, has given me the opportunity to get on the high horse early. And you know what? I'm going to take it. I'm going to grab it. I'm going to sprint down the final straight at Flemington with an absolute rate of knots. Fools, I'm energized already. I love that sound. <laughs> it's my favorite sound. Will will uh, have to explain later why he did it that early. But anyway, let's go with it. We're going to run through my high horse. It's been a while. It's been a while. I'm getting really, really worked up about mortgage interest rates, mate. Of all things, how much more, how more exciting does it get than mortgage interest rates? This is not a win so much. It's not even a rant. Other than it's an absolute exhortation for our listeners. we've I've been really busy on Twitter this week. I've been sharing with our listeners and with my Twitter followers and the Twitter followers of The Motley Fool, and you all know our Twitter accounts, but I'll give it to you in a minute, that people are paying way too much for their mortgages. Now, I did some numbers not long ago that suggested if you can save 0.5%, so if you can cut your interest rate by 0.5%, 
on a half million dollar mortgage, which is about probably less than average, quite frankly, but let's call it about average. Mm -hmm. You can save $50,000 over the life of a loan. In other words, if you don't do this, you are giving your bank two brand new small cars for nothing. Here you go. CBA, ANZ, NAB, Westpac. I love you guys. Please, here's two small cars I bought you. You can have them for free. I don't want the money. You can have it. And when you put it that way, it's absolutely bananas that people would not do their level best to negotiate the very best possible price for their mortgage. When I say price, I'm talking, of course, about interest rates. Now, plenty of people I've, I've been on Twitter, I'll to, a shout out to Simon and to Kurt, two of my followers who have negotiated successfully lower rates on their loans, so about 0.2 and 0.3% respectively, on their loans. They've been able to reduce the amount they're paying by hundreds of dollars a month just by asking their banks for a better rate. So we talk about stocks, we talk about the economy, we talk about all this highfalutin, important, com, you know, convoluted stuff, all these complex ideas and theories and scenarios. The simplest way, fools, for you guys to make more money if you have a mortgage is please, for the love of God, take the time, go to your bank and say, I want a better rate. Now, I'm with Sydney Credit Union. I've said this many, many times over, uh, on TV, on Twitter, all over the place the last couple of weeks, and I will disclose that's my mortgages with them. I get no commercial benefit from mentioning them other than actually nothing, literally. I'm paying the same rate as everybody else is for my mortgage, and trust me, I'm still paying fees. But I'm paying 3.59% for my mortgage. That's as low as you'll find. People are paying 3.8%, 3.9%, 4.1%, 4.2% on their mortgages. If you go from 42 down to about 3.6, you'll save 60 grand plus on your mortgage over the life of that loan. That's a that's a bloody Toyota Prado, right? So I will say again, I'll, I'll wrap this one up. Please, fools, do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. If you won't do it for yourselves, do it for me. Go to your bank. Tell them you know that you can get 3.59% around somewhere else and ask them for a better deal. If they won't give you a better deal, please change banks. It'll take you a couple of hours. You'll have to get some pay slips. It's an absolute pain in the neck. But I'll tell you what, if you won't do that for 60 grand... How much? How much? How far do you drive across town to get cheaper petrol, or save a couple of bob on a on a, on a you know a thirty pack of Coke? Trust me, I, I know exactly the price of thirty packs and twenty four packs of Coke Zero, as you guys well know. It, but people will, will go out of their way to save a couple of bob, and yet they'll pay sixty grand, fifty grand more on their mortgage, the price of a new car or a couple of new cars, over the over the life of a thirty year loan because they won't take the time, take a couple of hours to get some paperwork together, fill out a form. And send it in. Try Sydney Credit Union. Try UBank. Try HSBC. Try IMB. They've probably got a bank these days. It used to be the Illawarra Mutual Building Society back in the day. Try them. They'll give you a much, much better rate than you're probably almost certainly getting from your bank. And trust me when I say your bank doesn't need the money. <sighs> That's cathartic, Doc. That is a long hey, rant. It was, wasn't it? Good, though. Hey, for, and if you do, as you do, when you do, please let us know on Twitter. I would love to kind of collect some of these stories and help uh, inform, enthuse, enthuse um, motivate your fellow fools with some of those success stories so we can all get a better rate from our banks. Because as I said, you need the money. The bank, trust me, does not need the money. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Should we go back to the mailbag? Yeah. I Let's feel so do much it. better now. You, I'm, you, I'm in a much calmer mood now to go into the. Uh, you feel relieved. I feel. Mu- I feel much better. Mm-hmm. I can see. <sighs> see, I'm calmer already. Well, sixty thousand. You know that, that those banks don't need the cars. Sixty thousand bucks. They already have billions 60, of dollars. Can, can you imagine any other? Cu- and you you started me off again. Can you imagine any other industry, any other customer, any other relationship you have in your life where you would overpay someone by 60 grand? Well, that's made what's called switching costs. Banks have actually, I mean, the bank switching costs are actually underrated people. It's really... Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, and, it, and it's all psychological, right? The, yeah. the, the time and effort to save 60 grand, you, 
after tax, it's more than the average wage for a full year. Yeah. You're, work, you're working a full year more than you would have to on the average wage after tax to pay the banks mm-hmm. some... Uh, it just drives me nuts. Let's do the mailbag now. Okay. Let's do it. We got a, we got a message from <laughs> Scott. I like that. Scott says... Is, well, is that just you talking to yourself? <laughs> no, Scott, Scott Grieve is his name. <laughs> okay. At Scott and G, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, Scott and G. Um, now, Scott doesn't give us any compliments, Doc. So he's he's got a first warning. Okay. Um, next time we may or may not address his yeah, question. To, yeah. to we like to be told we're doing an awesome it's job. It's important. It's yeah. important. It's- All right. So Scott asks, would you dollar cost average holdings of LICs and low cost ETFs or invest in a high risk, higher risk individual stock like Appen? I've held a well diversified portfolio of LICs that's listed investment companies and index funds for two years now and have some more funds to invest. So what Scott's basically saying is he's got a good foundation. Listed investment companies are businesses that exist to invest your money for you. They're not quite managed funds because they're ASX listed. ETFs we've talked a lot about, they're exchange traded funds. That's a way of getting exposure to a whole index with a single transaction. So he's got those already. He's got some more money to invest. Should he plow more money into those diversified, broad, sometimes boring, uh, long-term investment ideas? Or should he be trying to pick stocks, something like an Appen, a bit higher risk, but trying to make a bit more money? Well, I mean, okay. So, more like generally speaking, uh, if you've got a base of ETFs and LICs, that's basically like, you know, um, it's giving you, I guess, some diversification in your portfolio. <coughs> and the thing with ETFs is if, 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 for example, you've got a low-cost ETF, and I'm guessing if a low-cost ETF, you probably have an index fund, then the index fund is going to deliver, you know, depending on what index it is, it's going to mm-hmm. deliver index-like returns. Which right? is pretty good. Average of 10% yeah, a year just, for the ASX 200. Sure. And, or if you've got something else and whatever you've got, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, it's going to give you index-like returns. So if you want to get more than that, then you yep. invest in individual companies and you take on the risk uh, for, you know, uh, when you do that. And so you, you want more, but you might get less. You might get less. And which is, again, when you, you know, you try to buy more, you, know, you don't buy one stock. So you, right. you, you buy multiple of them. You have a diversified portfolio, and, you know, and then as long as, let's say, six out of those 10 do well, mm-hmm. that you, assuming that you bought 10, you know, on, 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 on average I'm talking about, then, you know, you should, you should come out ahead right. by investing in individual stocks. So, yeah, one, so, again, a lot of things matter here. It depends on what your time frame you're looking at. If you've mm-hmm. got a long time frame, then investing in individual stocks and, you know, if, you know, selecting stocks that are going to outperform the market mm-hmm. are going to give you better returns than the... Um, then the ETFs, then the LICs are different, right? Because again, it depends on what the listed investment company is doing yeah. and you know what type of returns it's delivering. So I mean, you know, some listed investment companies can deliver great returns. And if they're doing that well, then that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But if they're not delivering you great returns, then that's not that good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that depends on what, what that is, right? Whereas the ETF also depends on what, it, you know, so I would, I would say that, you know, depending, if you've got a long time frame to invest, then looking at individual stocks is a great idea. Right. Um, if you know, if you don't have a long time to invest, and you you know, or you have been investing for a while, and you want to taper off investment, um, you know, then maybe adding to ETFs is what I would do. That's what I would do personally. I, I put most of my money on individual stocks. So again, this is not not you know personal advice, but you know, this is an advice you know general advice based on those sort of circumstances. Correct. As always, we can't give personal advice. So I, I agree with Doc. I think here's the thing: we're big fans of index funds, generally speaking. I think. 
for, for the for the average investor who doesn't want to be too involved with their investing, who doesn't want to pick their own stocks or take the advice of someone like us, as it turns out, we have a stock, couple of stock picking newsletters. Um, but if you want to just, you know, the very best thing you can start by doing is investing in index funds, regularly, regular um, investments into index funds over time will give you a very, very nice return. When I talk index funds, I'm talking about broad diversified index funds that, that match the market, not um, ETFs that are kind of, you know, specific trying to do individual things, which are kind of active stock picking kind of um uh, opportunities or decisions by another name. So if you want to and you are buying individual stocks, I think to Doc's point, that is your best chance of beating the market. It's also the best chance of losing to the market relative to an ETF. And so you want to know that you can actually, you're actually good at it. If you're not good at picking stocks, you don't want to take the time or you haven't got a trusted advisor. Again, shameless plug for us, but you know we, we try and beat the market. That's our business. So if we didn't think it was worth picking stocks, we wouldn't be in this business. We think we can pick stocks and beat the market on average over time. And we have our share of losers and our share of winners and net net so far so good. We're doing a pretty good job at The Motley Fool in Australia and in the US. Um, but not not by giving you a plug, just say that there's other people who do lose to the market trying to do exactly the same thing. And so it can be exciting, interesting, fun to pick your own stocks. It can also be heartbreaking <laughs> and emotionally stressful. Um, I, I'm a big fan of building a base of ETFs if that's what you want to do, and then adding stocks to it. You mentioned a stock like Appen, for example, and again, to Doc's point, don't just buy Appen, don't just buy anything, uh, buy a range of stocks. If you're not going to commit yourself to buying 15 or 20, then don't <laughs> buy one, buy an ETF. You don't have to buy 15 or 20 up front, by the way, but you want to build a portfolio that's at least 15 stocks as quickly as you can get to that number. Um, if you're not going to, you're taking huge amounts of risk by just simply not being diversified. Maybe Appen goes to the moon, maybe it falls in half. You can't know that now, and, and frankly, that's the, that's the risk of just buying a single stock. Whether that was Appen, whether that was Telstra, whether that was Woolworths or Have to Pay, you know, pick, pick a name. Um, we would never ever say, hey, buy a stock and see how you go. We'd always say, if you want to pick stocks, then great. Find out what you're doing. Find a trusted advisor if you want to or get yourself educated, and then pick uh, more than one stock. Pick a, pick a range of stocks and go from there. Modly full money. All right. Thank you, Scott. We're got, going to go to a question from Wait Out 7 Is that the Motley Fool? Wife loves the podcast. In fact, she's signed us up. Which is wonderful. Uh, wait, Ed, I'm a little bit disappointed you didn't tell us you like the podcast. It's I'm, I'm glad someone in your family has taste. I, I'm assuming you do too. Uh, so I will uh, I will assume that's true because it makes me feel better and doesn't hurt my ego or docs. So we'll assume that's true. Uh, wait, Out says looking to expand our portfolio into the Asian market, and I've looked at Asia ASIA, which is the ticker code for an ETF, mm-hmm. and VAE ETFs. What do you think are the pros and cons? Are there any other ETFs we should look at for the Asian market? So, Doc, it'd be, it'd be uh, silly of me not to start with, is looking at the Asian market a good idea, do you think? And then secondly, if you're going to, how do you think about those ETFs or other options? Okay, so looking at the Asian market is 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 interesting. I mean, Asia has, has got the largest population of the world, and mm-hmm. if you think about div- dividing the world into regions, right? Yeah. And well, China, it, India, Indonesia, between China, them are the three most populous countries in the exactly, world, right? Exactly. And uh, they're also some of the fastest growing economies of mm-hmm. the world, right? And they're also those economies with, where a lot of people are, you know, getting into the middle class, and the middle class's wealth is, is growing, mm-hmm. and they would like to be consumers like us here and consume sort of those sort of things that we are consuming here. So, you know, the ri- rising living standards and so on. So, I mean, Absolutely, investing in having some exposure to Asia is mm-hmm. absolutely interesting. It's a way. To, it's a it's a play on growth, right? Okay. Um, I, I love that theme. That said, I mean, it's not that easy to also invest in Asia because, uh, you know, again, most of the companies that are Asia specific are listed elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so ETFs are definitely an interesting vehicle 
for that point of view. I'll point out one thing, though. Uh, one of the things that people should think about is there are companies listed here that have exposure to Asian markets. So, therefore, that's okay. one way to play. I like that. Right? So, you know, whether it's like things like Bellamy's or A2 Milk mm-hmm. or Blackmore's, and they all have exposure to the Asian market, right? Treasury Wine Estates. The Treasury Wine Estates. Freedom Foods. Freedom Foods. Costa, lots and lots and lots of companies, right? And, you know, maybe some of our software companies also support, you know, Altium sells into into China. So so remember that. But in terms of ETFs, are a good way to get exposure to the broad Asian market, right? Right. Right. And the two ETFs you mentioned, so Asia is a recommendation inside uh, Extreme Opportunities. We we really like that. The Asia ETF. The Asia ETF. And and, and we like that because it's it's a tech play. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it basically holds the the fifty largest tech companies uh, in Asia, excluding Japan. So where Asia okay. is defined as Asia X Japan, and and it holds some really really nice interesting companies. And I think you know, um, it tech. Uh, tech has a bright future right. in 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 that context. So so we like that. Um, the the other one that he mentioned he is the, uh, I, I, he yeah I had a quick ETF. look look up. It's mm-hmm. the Vanguard uh, FTSE Asia X Japan shares index. Okay. So it basically means it's 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 uh, if my from my quick look, it is an uh, exposure to the Asian market. Mm-hmm. Broad exposure to the Asian market, X Japan. So basically, again, it's like the Asia ETF, the, the other Asia ETF, but mm-hmm. not just with a tech focus. So this is, again, you know, so it depends what you want to do. Right. If you want a broad exposure, this may be okay. I haven't done enough research or haven't seen actually what it does mm-hmm. in detail. Uh, if you want broad exposure, that's what it is. If you want a tech exposure, the other one is really a good one. We've done work on that one to, to like it. Um, and that's what I would say, that, you know, three different ways to get exposure. You know, you can get a broad market exposure, you can get it sector-specific exposure, you can get exposure via individual companies um, listed here. Very thorough answer. I'll add only briefly that um, just a general note of caution, because I like to do that a little bit when we talk about these sort of topics. I'm a, I think to your point, Doc, Asia is the largest uh, sector of our globe by population. It's also the fastest growing part of our world in terms of GDP growth. It's easy to think as an investor that therefore that's where the future is investing-wise, and it may well actually be true. I would just caution people to just be a little bit mindful of, uh, there's a chart, I, I won't try and describe it because lots of detailed numbers, but effectively, there are plenty of years when GDP growth grows and the market falls. There's plenty of years when GDP falls and the market grows. And that's talking about the developed economies, right? So at some level, just because a market is growing, just because population is growing, just because it's a large opportunity, doesn't by itself mean you should necessarily invest there. Um, plenty of examples of that. Uh, frankly, if you'd invest in South America a little while ago, you would have struggled because uh, Venezuela is in the, in the on the scrap heap, as, as people probably know. So just be a little bit careful about the assumptions of of um, one-to-one kind of uh, correlation, if you like. It doesn't always hold that just because an economy is growing or big, that therefore its market will give you market big returns and so forth. Um, so just, just be a little bit careful with that. Uh, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in Asia. The Asia ETF that Doc mentioned, I think, is a, is a really good investment idea. Um, but just as a general rule, uh, whatever sector whatever we're talking about, if we're talking about uh, I mean, it's simplest example is, is the dot com uh, mania in 1998, 1999. The internet was the future, absolutely, but 90 plus percent of the companies that were high flyers then went stone muddlers broke, and only a couple really survived today. It's kind of Amazon and eBay are about it. Even Yahoo has kind of been subsumed a couple of times, and it's it's one of the survivors, let alone those that got killed out of the result of the, the dot com crash. So just be careful that you know a trend or a theme or a whatever isn't by itself enough to suggest that it's necessarily going to give you a great return by investing in that particular area or topic. Modly full money. Doc, I got a message from Luke Simpson. Mm-hmm. And Luke says with, yo, Scotty, 
<laughs> Love that. I, well, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a little bit over familiar. It's not exactly the sort of, you know, yo, it's kind of, I, yeah. I, I, I'm feeling a bit hip hop. I'm feeling a bit rap. I'm feeling a bit kind of, you know, down in the hood. It's not really me, is it? Well, it's, it's, well, it's good. Oh. You know, you, oh. you, you, you are in. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So it says, yo, Scotty. Again, I'll, I'll stumble over that, but I'll keep going. Well, all the doom and gloom in the news at the moment around the economy, how is one supposed to understand what is going on in simple terms? More importantly, would now be the time to look at buying a house or should I wait? <laughs> Jeez, Luke, thanks for the easy questions. Um, because I'm hosting this podcast, I'm going to make you answer it first and I'm going to give it a go. So uh, first questions first. With all the doom and gloom in the news, how is one supposed to understand in simple terms what's going on? Well, let me start with good day to Luke <laughs> for asking. <laughs> oh, yeah, yo. For asking. Yo, Luke. Well, he didn't. He didn't even talk to me. So. Well, that's true. So, that's true. So I'm just starting. I'm assuming. With I'm assuming that he just figured that one of us is both of us, right? <laughs> Something like that. I'm just giving you a hard time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thanks for that hard question. <laughs> um, the uh, there's a lot of gloom and doom. The thing is that there's right. always a lot of gloom and doom. That's because those uh, gloom and doom headlines actually result in people clicking on them, <laughs> and therefore that results in a lot of advertising uh -huh. revenue. So there's, there's there's a feedback loop here that actually causes all that. There's a lot of you know uh, the markets. Uh, this is a standard, I guess, boilerplate answer. If you look at hundred years, uh, the markets have gone up a lot in hundred years, yep. and you know we have heard about two world wars, uh, various other wars, uh, oil crisis, missile crisis. Mm -hmm. GFC, you know what? Yep. 1987 crash, Iraq blah, blah, wars, blah, blah, blah. SARS, uh, yeah. Asia financial crisis, lots of stuff. Yep. Right. But our march to progress doesn't stop. Right. Uh, that's one of the things about human beings is that you know we want to progress, keep progressing, innovating, mm -hmm. doing better things. Um, so that's number one. Um, doom and gloom around our local economy. There's a little bit of that, but you know what? The, the, the thing is that oh, there's plenty of that. There's plenty of that. Well, oh. A little bit of that. But you know, when we looked at, we just finished earnings season, right? And I mean, you know, there are some companies which are look challenged, mm -hmm. but there are a bunch of companies that are doing just fine. They're actually not just doing just fine. They're doing very well, right? <laughs> so there's always stuff, yep. um, always businesses that actually do well because they know they are just doing other things that don't imp are not impacted by the stuff that people are always talking about. <laughs> so, so that's the other thing. Right. Um, so I think, you know, if you're an investor and if you have a long time frame, then, you know, being invested is basically a good idea. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. That's what I personally do. Uh, that's what I believe. Yep. And and the history suggests that that's, that's a good idea. Um, with respect to buying a house, well, uh, again, this is my general advice. If, if you need a house and you want a house and you want to be living in that house and you, and you be, can afford that house. And you can afford the house. Why stop? Yep. Right. And that, that's been my philosophy with housing. This is not an investment advice, right? I mean, it's not about you know, investing in a house. If you, you know, if you can afford a house, and it's great to have a house, you know, if you rent a house, I mean, there's nothing wrong with renting, but, you know, every time you put a nail on that door, uh, on that wall, mm -hmm. um, the owner <laughs> looks at you with a funny eye <laughs> and, and maybe thinks about the bond, that, you know, the bond payment that's going to disappear. None of those, you know, one of the reasons we bought a house or, or a unit was that we <laughs> we've got sick and tired of, 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 of uh, landlords telling us, you know, what you could do and what yeah, you right. couldn't do and things like that. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, you, you build your memories there and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so if you can afford it, and if you find something that you like in the neighborhood that you like, why not? I mean, yeah. Is it going to go down and up? You know, I, I, <clears throat> I'm, I'm on record saying that house prices are going to continue going down. Ooh. That that doesn't mean that they will go down. <laughs> um, and it, 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 it could go, go up, <laughs> right? So it, it's not about timing the market. If you, if you, again, if you, mm -hmm. if you want something, sometimes, you know, you want to have stuff 
and you got to have it now. If you know, de- delaying everything for the future is is right. not possible. Right. Really, right? That's that's what I would say. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on that. I, Howard Marks is one of the world's best investors. You've probably never heard of. If you have heard of him, then even better. Um, he's a value guy. He's uh, often buying distressed debt. Um, so one of those kind of. Uh, so he was involved in the Channel Nine buyout when it went broke back in the day. Um, plenty of plenty of kind of people talking about him. Warren Buffett says it's you know when he sees a, a Howard Marks memo in the mail, it's the first thing he reads. But that's that's a pretty good compliment. Howard Marks talks about a category of information that is important but unknowable. And for the most part, he includes almost all forecasting in that. He talks about the fact that you can't really know where we're going or where we're going to be, but you can have a sense of where we are. Broadly speaking, in terms of what he would call the cycle, in other words, you can look around you and see how expensive or cheap things feel or seem as a general proxy, right, for, for what's going on in the economy. So to, to, your, to your question, Luke, despite you saying, yo, Scotty, um, the, uh, here's, here's the way I look at it, right? The economy in Australia is in pretty decent shape. Uh, unemployment is very low. Inflation is very low. But there are clouds on the horizon, and we can't know whether those clouds will end up being thunderstorms or will blow over. Um, we just can't know. And the human desire for certainty is our greatest enemy when it comes to any financial transaction we enter into because we all want that certainty. It's what takes people to software packages that promise to be able to analyze charts or or people who sell books to say, this is how you should do this thing, whatever that thing is. Um, we all want to know the, the answer, right? The secret, the, the final version. And so we're all drawn to that stuff. And, and probably as an investor and frankly, as a home buyer, the best thing you can do is, is kind of try and disabuse yourself of that notion. Try and put that out of your mind and say, I can't know. All I can know is, does this transaction make sense right now? And so that, you know, it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean things won't fall or rise in six months time. You don't have to know that. All you have to know is whether the purchase is worth making now. Um, economically, when it comes to investing, invest regularly. You know, we would, if you have the wherewithal, if you can save some money, we just advise people to keep investing every month. Just put some money aside, invest it every month. Sometimes you'll be buying at a higher price than average, sometimes lower price than average. You can't know. Um, but the, the discipline of doing that makes you buy, even when the worst fears are happening. David Gardner, one of our co-founders, talks about the fact that during the GFC, he hated the fact he was made, he was forced to rec- make a recommendation every month, right? Because it felt terrible and he felt unhappy about the market and things had fallen and there was doom and gloom everywhere. And he comes, oh, I'd have to make another recommendation or probably fall again. And in hindsight, some of those GFC time recommendations, some of the best recommendations he's ever made, right? And the the, the, the process of self-discipline, the the external discipline, if you like, of being forced to do that actually was ended up being a really positive influence. I've certainly had the same thing. There's times in my stock picking career when I've done the same thing, picked a stock every month for, for Motley Fool Share Advisor, where I've kind of felt like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do it. Maybe we should wait and just see what, you know, wouldn't it be nice to wait till the market seems more expen- more uh, you know cheaper or, or less expensive or more uh, somehow obvious or, you know, fewer clouds? And frankly, we've done a pretty good job of beating the market for now, almost eight years, um, despite going through some of those periods of time. And so that's not, not just gains, but actually beating the market. And being forced, in air quotes, to do that is, is probably the most useful thing. In terms of buying a house, I completely agree with Doc. If you're buying a house for yourself, we're assuming it's an owner-occupier rather than an investment property. Um, if you're going to own either that house or any house for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, hopefully, you know, before you cut, they cut you off to the nursing home, that's the last house you've been or, or a house after that. It's not so much a financial decision as a lifestyle decision. If you're buying a reasonably priced house that you can reasonably easily afford, if you can meet meet the repayments and a bit to make sure you're covered if something happens around work or illness or something else, then buy the house you want to live in, right? Buy buy, buy the lifestyle asset for you and the family. Um, maybe it's a future family, maybe it's a current family in any case. Uh, it makes sense, right? And so if you can do it without being stretched, if, so look, I have a house. Um, 
The, the price has probably fallen, I don't know, 10, 15% last couple of years. Am I worried about it? Not even slightly. If it falls another 20%, am I worried about it? No, because I'm not going to sell a house anytime soon. It's a base for me and my family. It's a lovely place to live. I'll own it or another house or you know, a series of houses for the rest of my life. And so whatever I sell that for, I'm going to buy something else roughly in the same market for about the same price. It just doesn't matter. So as long as you're not overextending, please, for the love of God, don't buy off the plan. Um, as long as you're doing the right thing and buying a house you can afford, I wouldn't worry too much about it. You know, if I say go and buy a house now, it drops 20%. You'll say to me, oh, I should have waited 20%. I knew I should have waited. If I say, oh, I just see how, what happens. The houses go up 20%. Oh, I really should have bought back in back in March 2019. There is no easy answer. You've just got to make peace with that, mate. If it, you know, if you can, it's, it's really important. Make your peace with it. I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. Buy sensibly. Buy the right thing for the right price. And that's probably the best advice we can give you. Modly full money. Doc, one more before hmm. we finish it. All right. From Jay Patch. He says, decisions, decisions. Mate, I thought we'd done a good job here of, of telling our members that we loved people telling us how good we are. And this is the third in a row it hasn't started with, I love what you guys are doing. Um, <laughs> just as, like, we probably haven't been clear. We should just be very, very clear. We should be very, very clear. Very, very clear. All right. We like to be told that Line we, in the sand. Yeah, we love. All right. So yeah. Jay Patch says, decisions, decisions. Uh, start investing for my future with CMC Markets or Comsec. Perhaps become a Motley Fool member first, I hear you say. <laughs> um, yes, Jay Patch, if you want to do my marketing for me, I'm more than happy to let you do that. Uh, I'll just reread what you say. Perhaps become a Motley Fool member first, I hear you say. I think Okay, that's pretty clear. <laughs> that's pretty uh, clear. <laughs> all right. So, so Jay Patch is getting started investing, which is absolutely bloody awesome. I'm, I'm stoked that you're getting started, mate. If we've been useful. Now, is it CMC Markets or Comsec? How would you go about choosing a broker for someone getting started investing, Doc? Okay. So, number one. Uh, I would look at brokerage fees. Well, number one is join the Motley Fool, of course. Yeah. But number uh, two. Number two. Yes, number yeah. one is join the Motley <laughs> Fool. And, and that's very, very important. Number two is look at the brokerage fees. So, um, right. you know, there's no reason to pay exorbitant brokerage fees. You know, even if you're not trading frequently and whatever it is, well, I mean, mm -hmm. why pay more mm -hmm. when you can pay less and get the same thing? <laughs> so you you're know, nothing about a cheapskate, dog. Yeah, I am very cheap <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to uh, <laughs> uh, comes to brokerage. So number one, I'd look at a broker broker who uh, provides me, and, and there's a couple of other things I would say. Mm -hmm. you, you want a broker who provides you access to the entire market. So you want, and there's some brokers who actually do not provide you access to the entire market, which is really funny. Yeah. Um, so you know, you want a broker who provides you access to the entire ASX, provides you cheap. A brokerage, mm -hmm. and by cheap, I mean, you know, you really shouldn't be paying $20, $25, or $30 for a trade. That just sounds uh, exorbitant. Mm -hmm. And number two is that it's a broker that makes it easy for you to invest internationally from the same account would actually be my preference mm -hmm. because that allows you to tap other parts of the world for equity, mm -hmm. right? Um, so those are two things. And I would, again, look at, again, the costs involved for doing both. And I'd use that as my decision-making process. Beautiful. I'm going to disagree with you entirely, which is kind of fun. Huh. I, um, I look. I think those are, those are very valid points. I would take a very different view. So, uh, Jay Patch, you get to you get to choose between uh, two two great points. Uh, you can choose mine, which is obviously better, or Doc's, which is worse. But they're both they're both they're both they're okay. Both. Doc's is okay. Mine's pretty good. Um, no, look, I, I actually agree with your your sentiments, Doc. I think I would for a beginning investor. I'll add some thoughts. The first is I would actually prioritize user friendliness of the site and customer service over brokerage as long as it was in the same rough ballpark right so if i had the choice between paying 20 bucks a trade for good customer service a really easy to use website somewhere i felt comfortable trading and getting started or i could pay 15 bucks a trade or 10 bucks a trade for something that was a bit difficult to use and i wasn't really sure what was going on and how i was doing it i would actually pay the extra money in fact i do i i, I have a comsec account still after god knows how many years and again we have no commercial relationship with comsec um 
I'm, I'm happy to pay an extra 10 bucks a trade roughly on average. I trade so infrequently, it almost doesn't matter. I like the customer service. I know the website. I find it easy to use. And so for me, I'm actually happy to prioritize that because yeah, I'd like to save 20 bucks. Maybe it's cost me an extra I don't know, a couple of hundred bucks over five years for, for trading costs. Um, but overall, I feel more comfortable with the broker and the website and the kind of the, the broad setup. So I would just say for the individual investor, if you if you value simple, easy to use, comfort kind of customer service, I wouldn't be too scared to pay a little bit more for brokerage if it came to it rather than the absolute lowest price. In fact, so interactive brokers, right? Really, really cheap brokerage, good business. Um, list on the list on the New York Stock Exchange, great company. Their website is just awful. It is atrocious. We use it for work. I would run a mile to not have to use it. So I'm happy to pay more, for example, not to use that. I'm sure there are other options, by the way, in between those two. Um, so, you know, yes, by all means, get the cheapest one you feel comfortable with, but I would probably, for a beginning investor, preference comfort over that and then maybe go to that as you as you get more comfortable, as you're prepared to look for another one, and as you say, Doctor, to trade internationally in particular, then by all means, go and find a better, cheaper broker that does more. Um, so if you want to start with, with Doc's suggestion, that's a great idea. But if you do value comfort and kind of confidence and, and just some sense of easing your way into it, because it can be a bit, a bit um, daunting when you first start, then maybe uh, think about paying a little bit more and uh, and just, just to get a comfortable experience that you're going to use and not be kind of you know, daunted away from, uh, but actually makes it easier to trade. Is that all right? Sounds good to me. Just? Oh, sounds very good. I mean, <laughs> user friendliness is important. There you go. I so there's, say- two, there's, two, there's two approaches. Both are valid. Um, maybe just work out the one that's best for you. Cool. That wraps us up, mate. We're done. But that's great. Before we go, yes. our listeners shouldn't forget, you, they can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. As I say every now and again, Pocket Cast is the one I use. I have no affiliation with that either. Uh, but if it helps you choose, because often, often on the uh, Apple's great because it's a single podcast player. You choose that player because it already comes pre-installed. If you're an Android, you've got to look for something to use. That's the one I use. I don't know that it's any particularly better than a lot of others i just know it works and it's good for me so if that helps you listeners to choose an android podcast app pocket casts one word is the answer and if you like what we're doing please give us a rating a big five-star rating maybe leave us a review on google play or itunes let people know you're enjoying the podcast and how they can find it too we're sure they could use a little foolish straight talk as well and don't forget you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going and signing up at www.fool.com.au forward slash triple m triple m That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.